0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, that was sweet. I got one one very mousy. Good morning, pastor. Uh, let's, let's go on a little journey here. Um, some of y'all know that I like to do card tricks every once in a while. Actually, a, like a year, year and a half ago, I did one during a sermon, I think. If you don't remember it, Um, uh, I've, I've always been fascinated by that sleight of hand, you know, thing, you know, there's a trick, but like, they just do it and you're like, what just happened? You know? So, um, you know, a couple of years ago, a lot of us were stuck in the house for a while. Y'all remember that? And, uh, some of us were trying to figure out ways to spend our time. And so I decided maybe I'll try and learn some, you know? And uh, I started on YouTube, uh, watching, not posting. Uh, so I found, you know, I found some little tutorials, and there's lots of tutorials out there. I looked for some beginner stuff, and I picked up some slides. you know. I could, I could do a couple things, and out of a couple things I could do, I could make a handful of tricks. And, uh, and uh, you know, it was going okay. Um, my wife was... Not super impressed, but other people, you know? Um, and so I thought, you know, maybe this is something I, should, I could get good at. So I asked, you know, well, what, what are the people who are really good? What are they? Where do, where do they get their tricks from? And there are a couple books that are, like, foundational, you know? Everybody who's anybody has studied those books. Um... There's one that was written back in 1949. Um, that's considered, you know, very solid. And there's actually one that was written back in 1902 that people will talk about as being like the, the, the bible of card tricks. And it's wild. Like, um, the the name attributed to the author we think is actually not even the name of a real person. Like probably it's a pseudonym. There's some mystery behind it all because you know, the guy's writing a book about being a card cheat, basically. So it's cool, right? There's all this intrigue to it. It's fascinating. You know? So anybody who's, you know, anybody who's worth their salt in card magic, they work their way through those books. So I... It's 1902. The books aren't even in... You know, they're in the public domain now. You know? So I, I picked up copy. And uh, I'm, I want to tell you about what reading that book did for my card magic. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Okay? And I'll tell you why. I couldn't for the life of me connect what I was reading with what my hands were doing. You know, it's there's like a very arcane illustration, and it's, you know, and then there's a paragraph that's like, take the top packet and the second pad of your third finger gripped loosely in the imposing corner by the transverse locket of your non-dominant phalanges. Like <laughs> Ah, you know, so I've got this I've got this book in front of me, my hands are aching, my brain is aching, my eyes are crossed, and there's cards all over the floor. Magic. <laughs> so I put the book down and I went back to YouTube. And I watched people who understood those techniques. I watched them do them. I listened to them as they explained what they were doing and some of the finer details, and, and I followed along step by step as they did the thing. I imitated what they did, and I picked up a few more slights. Now, you know, there are techniques that are just beyond my grasp right now, and that's, you know, but, but if, if it wasn't too far ahead of me, I could sit, I could watch, I could listen, I could do, and then I could learn it. don't worry, I'm not going to quit my day job. (laughs) Why are we talking about learning card tricks off YouTube? Well, the incarnation of Jesus, right? So this is the eternal son of God for a brief time came in the flesh and lived on earth. And if I ask you why, your instant answer is probably going to be something like to save the world, right? And that is correct. But he could have done it in a lot of different ways. He certainly didn't have to do it in a way that took 30-ish years. I think that, you know, If he wanted to, he could have come down and one day gone to the cross, gone to the grave, gone back to the sky, and been done with the whole thing. He didn't choose that way. I think, at least in part, the reason that he came in the flesh and spent time was because he was discipling people. You know? Now, Jesus did not come with the intention of changing the scriptures. He did not come with the uh, intention of abolishing the law because he said explicitly, I have not come to do those things. I have come to fulfill the law. And in so doing, he gave us a picture of what eternal life is supposed to look like. He was, in concrete and imitable ways, Not imitatable, it's imitable. In concrete and imitable ways, he was showing us what righteousness and love actually look like. Jesus was made manifest so that the invisible God that we had read about and heard about could be made visible. I want you to hear the words that we read from 1 uh, Peter just a few moments ago. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. Skip ahead, because uh, it's, a, it's a very compound sentence. Was made manifest in the last times so that your faith and hope are in God. There's something crucial to grasp when we talk about Jesus being made manifest. You know, the Father could have been made manifest. And the Holy Spirit could have been made manifest. And actually, at times, he is. You know, he descends as a dove, for instance, or tongues of fire. But Jesus, God the Son, thank you, two of y'all, past confirmation. I don't know where the rest of you guys are at. Jesus, who is God the Son, is the one who was made manifest for 30-ish years. And so we get to watch what it means, what it looks like to be a child of the Heavenly Father. In watching how Jesus relates to and obeys his heavenly father, we see the perfect embodiment of how children of the heavenly father are supposed to relate to and obey him. I do understand the unique position that Jesus occupies, that he is God and that he is the one savior of the world. So in those ways, he is different from you. But in so many ways, he's not so different. He was made flesh. He was made mortal. He was made vulnerable, fully human, and the son of the Heavenly Father. And sometimes we focus on the distance between us and Jesus, but I think it's also appropriate that we focus on the closeness of Jesus to you. You know he calls you his brother, right? That's scriptural. Okay, so we have this picture of what it means to be a child of God, spelled out, made real, manifest, concrete, literal in watching the life of Jesus. Here's what, uh, here's what Peter wrote about this. He says early, early in the passage we, we read, it says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to everyone's deeds. So if you call father, the father of Jesus, right? If you call God almighty, judge of the universe, if you call him father, then conduct yourselves with Fear throughout the time of your exile. Or another translation will say, throughout the time of your sojourning. Right? That was a tough passage for me to read. I had to read it a few times before I got it because I don't think about my relationship to God as being one where I fear the judge. When I think about my relationship to God, I think about it as being a relationship of love with my Heavenly Father. Peter isn't suggesting that love of your Heavenly Father is wrong and fear of the judge is right. He's not suggesting that one replaces the other. And anyone who has read their small catechism, and since three of y'all graduated, I know you did, If you've read your small catechism, you go to the Ten Commandments and there's an explanation of each of them, right? So you you read a commandment and it says, what does this mean? The very first words in the explanation of every single commandment are, we should fear and love God so that. What does the second commandment mean? We should fear and love God so that. What What does the ninth commandment mean? We should fear and love God so that. The thing is, You should care a great deal about God's opinion, okay? God is a just God. He calls sin, sin. He calls goodness, good. But I want you to hear this. His love for you is not contingent on you keeping a good ratio between the good and the bad. But a good and loving father is one who disciplines and corrects his children. You might hope that your kids will do the right thing because it's the right thing. And maybe at a certain moment in maturity, that's true. Look back a couple weeks ago, and you'll remember that I tap the brakes whenever I see a policeman. (laughs) In reality, it's not bad for a kid to avoid doing some things that are wrong because they don't want to be punished or because they don't want to disappoint their parents. Man, what's the worst thing your dad ever said to you? I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. You know, it's okay if fearing the repercussions of your wrongdoing and their effect on your relationship with God, it's okay if that's a deterrent from doing what is wrong. Fear of God and love of God aren't opposing forces. You don't have to choose one. They are complementary motivations. Now, let's be real clear about this. The fear that Peter is writing about and the fear that I'm preaching to you about has nothing to do with condemnation. I hope no one in this room is afraid of being condemned by God. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? But Scripture is very clear that a loving father disciplines his children. The fear of the Lord is a recognition that he is never fooled, he is never wrong, and he wants the best for you. Even if at times what he says is best is at odds with what you think is best. So God in his kindness shared his only begotten son with us to show us what obedience looks like. And you know what obedience looks like? A man asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in these. In a word, what does obedience to God look like? Love. So check out verses uh, 22 and 23 with me. Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Okay, obedience to the truth, what is truth? Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Obedience to the truth, and there's a purpose for it. He says, um, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. The goal of obedience to Christ is not being rigid and harsh and legalistic. The goal of obedience to Christ is to live genuine love for the people around you. That means that your obedience to Christ cannot be mechanical. It cannot be begrudging, right? It isn't that we are obligated to serve the people around us. Imitating Christ's service, we learn what love looks like. And the amount you are able to love people you will never meet. Look, I think sometimes we think, you know, well, I'm supposed to love everybody. You know, that's the Christian thing, just love everyone. Yeah, okay, maybe. But the amount you can love a total stranger, especially one you'll never meet, there's a real cap on that. The closer somebody is to you, and I mean that in several senses. Maybe for now, let's just stick with geography, but there's other aspects to closeness. The closer you are to somebody, the higher the threshold for, what you, for how you can love them. So let's, let's start right now, geographically, in this room, look around. I will wait while you do it. Some of y'all are only willing to move your eyes and not your neck. Okay, fine. <laughs> look around. We should be a people who are remarkable and how we genuinely love and care for each other. Because when you looked around, guess what? These are people that you're stuck with forever. (laughs) Man, you ever been on a family road trip and the people in the backseat can't get along? And what are you going to do? You're two states away from home, right? You're going to kick them out and make them walk? you thought about it? I will turn this car around. Yeah, but you still got to drive back. Like, no. You're stuck there. Why don't y'all try and get along? Maybe it'll be better for everybody. Now, look, I will grant you this. In eternity, after Jesus comes back and the effects of sin are no longer an issue, it's going to be a bit easier to get along right? But when does eternity start? When does eternal life start? Right now. Listen, listen to what Peter wrote. I'm going to read it again. This is like the third time in the sermon, but I want you to hear it because we're getting a different piece of it. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Why do we love one another with a sincere heart? Because you are imperishable. So are they. You've been born again of imperishable seed. To put that differently, you are already born into eternal life. That's a reality for right now. And since eternal life is already begun in you, maybe we ought to live like it. The, the name of this series I'm preaching through is called Living for Eternity. Right? I don't want that just to be thinking about living for a long time. Y'all prayed the Lord's Prayer with me today. Remember that? Thy kingdom come. We're not just praying for the end we're praying that his kingdom would be manifest amongst us. And what does that look like? It looks like people who are living eternal life right now, people who are loving each other earnestly as they look around at the immortal souls around them and saying, Brother, sister, sister, child of the same heavenly father. What does that look like? How do we learn it? You will, not, you will not do this out of your own power and you will not do this out of your own uh, preconceptions. This happens by the power of the Holy Spirit learning and growing into the image of Christ. That's a lot. I'd like to pray with you about that. Would you like to pray with me too? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have invested us with your Holy Spirit and that you have made your Son manifest so that we don't just read about righteousness, but rather we learn by imitating him. We don't just think about love, but we receive his love and in turn learn to love from him. I pray, Heavenly Father, for a blessing upon this congregation, for all these eternal, immortal souls here today that we would grow in our love for one another because there is no other way to live out our love for you other than by loving our neighbor. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would knit us together as a family, that you would teach us obedience and love and grace through Christ. Draw us closer to him. Help us to walk in his footsteps. Help us to be your people. This, Lord, this is your mission. You have called us and saved us and redeemed us when we were not worthy, when we did not deserve it, and your love never fails. Lord, we want to make the most of this eternal life you've given us. Not for our own sake, not for our own glory, but for your glory and for the benefit of the world. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us courage and joy as we step out in Jesus' footsteps. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.